do you remember, and most of the people in my list of the podcast remember when uh, the TV show Star Trek come out and Captain Kirk would pull out this little thing and he'd flip it open and he'd talk into it. Beam me up, Scotty. Okay? He had that, it was like a flip phone. Okay? And I remember when I seen the first flip phone and I wonder when they're going to start beaming us to other places. Around three decades later, question owner-operator Mike Crawford was asking there remains an open one. He was talking in the context of what the cell phone did to the culture around the CB radio. It's more than just a useful on-highway tool. We've heard a lot about that the past couple of weeks. If you missed Overdrive Radio's 60th anniversary podcast earlier this week in attendant coverage, visit overdriveonline.com trucking hyphen history to access it. I'm Todd Dills. Your host today as usual, and I wanted to bring Crawford back in here because what you all heard from him via that special edition podcast uh, is just a very small sliver of our longer, uh, more in-depth conversation. The talk was centered on the CB and his history, how he went from being the lucky turkey to the maverick for a time to... Most everybody, whether I'm on the truck or whether I'm at home, you know, or all the people down at... uh... Prime, when I call, uh, I just say, hey, this is Mustang, you know, and in fact, <laughs> I sign, big part, big percentage of the time I sign my name on stuff, I sign Mustang, I sign it on my checks, everything, you know, that I write out and everything else, so, okay, this is Mustang, and uh, I uh, pull a flatbed, and I haul uh, a whole lot of everything, I haul Shingles, lumber, steel, coils, slinkies, uh, bags of salt, uh, big bags of rocks, big rocks for, you know, go to uh, decorative rocks, you know, people use around their yard and things like that. Uh, You know, if uh, uh, we will haul uh, tanks of stuff with water them I don't do I don't do hazmat I did it one time but uh, it's too much of a pain in the butt to get the hazmat light thing you know so I for what little I do with it I don't do that but uh, you know we haul uh, uh, some equipment uh, uh, you know bailers tractors you know haul a lot of stuff for bobcat Basically, anything, anything, anything that go on a big flat deck, right? <laughs> yep. And uh, occasionally we'll do, uh, you know, we'll do an oversized load if it pays right. But you know, it's it's okay. got to pay real well for all. Because uh, oversized loads are a pain in the rear too, so you know they have to pay a lot more. But anything goes on a flatbed, I'll haul it, and I'm. You know, 71 years old, and I'm still throwing chains, throwing straps, putting on tarps, untarping, folding up tarps, rolling up tarps, putting away tarps. I'm an idiot, but I'm still doing it. Mustang is an independent with his authority now for many years, but running pretty much with a single broker, Prime's uh, Logistics Group. 
after having leased there for many years. He was Trucker of the Year back in 2010 on the Overdrive program of that time. And Mustang's no doubt proud of what he does, but also, as you heard, full of self-deprecating humor as well. That's a feature of his storytelling you'll be pretty familiar with by the end of today's podcast. I know that this conversation was originally recorded back in the latter part of 2019, so that reference he made to his age you can add a year or two. Before we get to the rest of the story, here's a word from Overdrive Radio's sponsor. If you're a leased owner-operator, you need quality insurance to keep you protected. Call First Guard for the commercial truck insurance you need and the service you deserve. First Guard is the trucker's insurance company. We understand your needs and offer physical damage and non-trucking liability insurance for leased owner-operators. With First Guard, you always get fast and friendly service. Visit firstguard.com. That's the number one, stguard.com. First Guard, we speak trucker. Let's talk. Back in the uh, 80s, uh, you know, up until about 89 or something like that, I pulled a reefer for a company called Aprino Foods out of Denver. And they was one of the better paying companies in the United States. But I got to, I hated big cities. I hated going into New York City, going down to Hunts Point, I hated going to Boston, I hated going to L.A., I hated, you know, and with, with warehouses, with grocery warehouses and cold storage warehouses, if you were five minutes late, you had to wait for 24 hours to get unloaded, and if you were five minutes early, you ended up waiting 24 hours to get unloaded, they never kept you on schedule and everything, and it was always traffic jam, truck traffic jam, you know, traffic jams waiting to unload, and I got sick and tired of it, so I went from making about $750 a week or so in 1989 to working on a ranch out in Colorado for $100 a week as a cowboy on a ranch. And the biggest traffic jam I seen was a bunch of cows at a gate trying to get through because the gate hadn't been opened. Well, on the ranch that we worked on, that I worked on, it was me and two other guys. And uh, I lived on the ranch. Uh, they supplied me a little house there that I lived in. And uh, some people had got a horse. Uh, it was a wild Mustang from out in Nevada or somewhere. They adopted it, and they named this they named this horse Norman after the calf that was in the movie City Slickers. They thought that was cute, so they named the horse Norman. This horse for a wild Mustang was really kind of unique. He was very friendly and he was very playful. He would come up and he'd come up behind you and he'd take his nose and he'd knock the cowboy hat off, you know. And then if he got a chance, he'd grab it and run. He was he was like a puppy dog. I mean, he he played. <laughs> All right, Norman was really cool, and he was broke to a, a bridle. You know, halter, halter broke when they brought him in. He led real good and everything. Friendly horse, but they wanted to break him to ride. Uh, all right, well, so at that time we we uh, charged uh, $300 a month to uh, you know board him, keep him, train him, you know, work with him. And uh, I could ride most anything. Well, we had Norman there and. 
He was very playful. I got him broke to a saddle, uh, to a, a saddle blanket first. I got him broke to that. Then I got him broke to the saddle. And then I got him broke to a, a bridle. But I used a hackamore on him, which some people would know what a hackamore is. It doesn't have a bit that goes in his teeth. I didn't, he didn't like that. So I got him broke to hackamore, got him used to the leaping with it. We had him there, and I had him all broke to to uh, everything. And, and uh, so... I uh, worked with him. It took me about a week to work with him, get him used to all that stuff. And I, one day I just said, all right, it's time. So I climbed up in the saddle. And uh, I'm sitting there, and he didn't, he pinned his ears back. I said, I patted him on the neck. I said, that's all right, Norman. It's okay. I'm just up here on me. Me up here on you. Don't worry about it, you know. I'm sitting there, and kind of got my, feet sticking out. He turned around. First thing he tried to do is turn around and bite my boot. You know, and <laughs> all that. I said, Norman, no. And so anyhow, we're sitting there and I just sat there for about 10 minutes or so and he didn't move at all. He just sat there and finally his ears relaxed and everything. I, you know, you feel the tension in him kind of going. So, but okay, we got this one. This is going to be all right. I did not wear my spurs at that time because I a little more cautious than that. So I squeezed my legs together, which was a command to get him to, you know, go forward without taking your heels and punching him in the side. I just squeezed my legs together and released him. Command to have him walk forward. Uh, he didn't walk forward. He went straight up. Did you, ever, did you ever try to get a saddle out from between your legs when you're eight foot in the air and coming down and there's no horse under you? I hit hard. Me, the saddle still between my legs, and I'm laying there trying to breathe. Norman comes over, and I swear to God this is the truth that some other people see that would verify it. Norman come over, bent down, well, put his face down, looked at me like, are you all right, and licked my face like a damn dog would. You know, and Norman actually, he did that. Well, anyhow... I tried every day. I, I put a new cinch on the saddle, first of all. And I tried to ride Norman, tried to ride Norman, tried to ride Norman, and every day Norman would throw me. And so, anyhow, finally one old boy told me, he says, take him down to the river down there. He said, uh, a lot of times you can put a horse in the water and they won't, start bucking and you can work them and you can get them to go good. All right. So this was about day number 28 that we had had him. And so I took him down there and while this whole time people would ask me how I was doing with Norman. Now, I haven't rode him yet. So they started calling me, hey Mustang man, hey Mustang man. Mustang man, you rode that horse yet? Mustang man, I don't know. I haven't rode him yet. So I took him down to the river, and I led him out into the water, and I climbed up in the saddle, and I'm sitting there, and he's pawing at the water. He seems to enjoy it. So I squeezed my legs together and just barely touched his ribs with my feet, and he walked off. He just started walking down the river. Hot. Oh, he didn't buck. He didn't throw me up in the air. So we're walking up and down, and I 
played in the water with him for almost probably two hours, walking back and forth in the river, and he would trot a little bit and no gallop because we was in the water, but he was running back and forth, and he's having a good time, and I'm enjoying the heck out. Now, you've seen rivers, banks where they have these great big round rocks. Every rock there is not a sand beach. Every rock was a water-worn, smooth rock, like a, anywhere from the size of a golf ball to a bowling ball, you know, this kind of a beach. It's just big right. round rocks. Well, I thought, all right, I got this rodeo whooped. So we come, I decided to take him, and you know, I was just going to ride him down the down the road there to the ranch, <laughs> stables and stuff. So we come out of there where I led him in the water at. We come out of there on that beach with him, all the big old round rocks. And Norman come out right front foot first, left front foot next, right rear foot next, left rear foot next. When that left rear foot hit solid ground, that horse went straight up near. I was not expecting it. And them big old rocks looked even bigger when I was coming down from eight foot in the air. And I hit them things, and it took me quite a while to recover from that. I would lay there and breathe real hard. Norman come over and didn't lick my face, but he come over and, you know, like, are you all right? So I got up, and I had to walk him the half mile down to the house. He just walked like he was real happy. I got down there, and I called the people, and I told them to come get Norman. They come to get Norman. And they said, well, how'd you do? I said, well, here's what you've got. They said, what's that? I said, you got one of four things. They said, what's that? I said, you've either got 1,200 pounds of glue, or you've got 1,200 pounds of dog food, or you've got a bucking bronco for the rodeo, if you can find somebody to buy them, or you've got a 1,200-pound pet because nobody's going to ride him. You know, I've tried to ride him, I've tried to ride him, and I can't ride him. And I said, I can ride most anything. I can ride horses as a buck, but Norman is different. Norman is either glue, dog food, or rodeo, bronc, or a pet. It's your choice. So anyhow, everybody kept calling me Mustang, man. So the guy that owned him... After your... After- after your persistence in uh, trying to ride the Mustang, you sort of, that became your name. Yep, Mustang, uh, you know, it's, I, we just kept the man part of it. Just, everybody just started calling me Mustang, and then I just, you know, kept that handle, and then when I went back to, uh, well, I had a CB then in the pickup truck, and I started using that handle, CB, you know, a CB handle in Mustang. Yeah. And, you know, the first, the first, uh, CB handle I had was back in the 70s, right after uh, the movie Smokey and the Bandit came out. CB Crave went wild, Rage, whatever you want to call it, went wild with CBs. And uh, I had the handle of Lucky Turkey because I lived there in Missouri and I went turkey hunting and uh, a guy shot at the... (laughs) I was standing behind a tree, and a guy shot at the tree where I was at. And I told some people about it. They said, man, you're a lucky turkey, you know, because it's turkey season. So I had the handle of lucky turkey. was my first CB handle. And then uh, 
uh, I had a little had a little Ford Maverick, and they changed my handle from Lucky Turkey to Maverick because it was an old car, and uh, changed that. And then I used that for a long time. And then then when I went to driving a truck for Loprino, I was always gone and I was never in one place. So people started calling me Drifter. So I've had four CB handles in my life. Uh, first was Lucky Turkey, then Maverick, and then Drifter, and then Mustang, and Mustang's what I've had since, uh, what, 30, yeah, 30 years now? Yeah. Uh, I went back to, back on the road in, uh, in 19, not, well, in 90, I went back on the road in 92, driving for a company out of, uh, Springfield called, she, she, I forget the name of it, but anyhow, it's the same thing, driving a, pulling a, uh, reefer and I did that for about a month and a half and remember why I quit pulling a reefer and I quit there too and and uh, went to uh, I was you've seen my farm I went to work cutting firewood and stuff trying to make a living selling that I have indeed seen Mustang's place in Long Lane Missouri along a winding road and featuring quite a bit of wooded, wooded land and a pond and when he's home his 1994 Freightliner that we're just about to get to in this timeline. But yeah, selling firewood for a living. Didn't work, so then I went to work driving for a flatbed because my very first trucking job uh, was, as far as an over-the-road truck, was pulling a flatbed for a company called KL Breeding out of, uh, they were out of Lone Star, Texas at the time, and they pulled all oil field equipment, uh, you know, oil field pipe, uh, some rig, oil rigging, and, and a lot of mud, you know, uh, bentonite clay and things like that out of, up north, and then haul pipe up to the oil fields in the north and mud back down to the oil fields in the down in Texas and all that. So, you know, I, I pulled, uh, and I remembered how much easier that was. We didn't do a lot of tarping at that time, but I never even thought about that. So in 94, in January 94, I needed to make a living again, and I wasn't making a living around here in this small area where I live. So I went to work uh, for Steelman, and everything was going great there, and, and I worked for them for a few months. So I got out to, I was out in Utah, I wanted to pick up a little steel uh, down south of Salt Lake City, and I'm driving down there, long road, and there was a, uh, a portable winch, you know, you tighten, you know, used to tighten down in an emergency with a wrench, and I stopped, picked it up, I looked, and I said, man, I wish I had my own truck to go along with that. Well, I picked up that load of steel, and I was driving home, uh, I was going to Tulsa with the load, but I decided to come home first and have two days at home and then go back down to Tulsa. And on the way back, I met a prime driver pulling a flatbed at, uh, at a service class in Kansas on uh, on the uh, toll road there between uh, uh, Topeka and Kansas City. And I was talking with him, and he gave me his card. And I didn't even know Prime had a flatbed division at that time. So... You know, he told me how you could 
lease a truck and do all this. And so I went down and talked to them. And, uh, yep. so anyhow, and you, uh, and you did lease the truck and you're, you're still in that same truck. And that's one of the things I'll definitely bring up in this, uh, this little segment because it, I think it's pretty astonishing. You, you have, uh, what is it? 13 point, uh, almost 13, uh, excuse me, 3.6 million miles, uh, on, on the same, uh, uh, on the same axles basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got, uh, I've got 3 million, 574,000 miles on my truck. I got into my truck on April. I I started to prime on April 4th, 1994. Sam Cope wasn't going to hire me at first because he just had, they, they had a pretty strict hiring policy and he just wasn't sure about it. Now I said, if you give me a chance, I'll prove you wrong. I'll make sure that and he said, okay, and uh, so now he put me to work. I went to uh, April 4th and 5th, and the morning of the 6th, I went through orientation. And then uh, the afternoon of April 6th, I went out there and uh, I picked out this truck. There was two trucks there, uh, truck uh, 6100 and truck 6101. Now, I'm not really into num numerology or something, but, you know, 6 and 1 and 1 is 8. And if you add them up and then you got the 0 there, I guess you can Aces and eights are a dead man's hand. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I added up to that. And there was another guy looking at that, and he liked that truck because of the, the colors. It was uh, gold and and some kind of a, another yellowish tint. Uh, anyhow, he liked that truck. He didn't like mine because mine was that uh, a burgundy color with pink and and uh, oyster, pink and pearl pinstriping on it. He didn't like that. And but six one zero zero, those numbers added up to seven, and I was a lucky number. So anyhow, I took that truck. His truck. <laughs> He had to turn back in the Freightliner after about six months because it kept breaking down. Transmission went out, the engine blew, blah, blah, blah. Now, mine... <laughs> so when, when in doubt, uh, trust your instincts when it comes to numerology and whatever. you. <laughs> right, because I had, I had my, uh, I had over, I had just a shade over three million miles before I replaced the transmission. You know, I had over yeah, three million... Yeah, we've talked about it before, I know. Yeah. Right. And uh, I had, the one that I'm proudest of is, well, there's two things I'm proudest of is I had 3,343,000 miles on the engine before I had it touched, before I rebuilt it. And that's verifiable. And uh, yeah. I've got 3,574,000 miles. And there's four things I'm real proud of. One, I've never been late picking up or delivering a load. Two, I have never had a claim. I've never had a damaged piece of product, and that's pulling a flatbed. It's through rainstorm, snowstorm, sleet, everything. I've never had a claim on me. Three, I've never made a customer mad where they said, don't come back, leave this place, blah, blah. You know, I've never had a customer mad at me where they told me, get the heck out of there. 
before the one I'm the proudest of, I got 3,574,000 miles on the truck, accident free in the same truck. So far, nobody's found a, you know, or the same driver in the same truck has that many miles accident free. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but so far they haven't found but it. You can also add a good many more miles to those figures for Crawford over that almost 30 year period to this point, too. But hey, I'm guessing in that if there's another owner operator or company driver out there who's reached that milestone, 3.5 million or more safe miles in the same truck, this audience would be the one to know it. If you've got another example for us, leave me a message on our podcast line at 530-408-6423. We'd love to share that story. And here I had to know too, and I imagine you're thinking similar. So what happened to Norman anyway? I was by there. Uh, I was up through, because those people lived up by Livermore, uh, mm-hmm. Colorado, and which is about 20 miles up 287 out of Fort Collins. And I was up through there, and uh, I stopped at a, a, a little gas station room for 18 wheelers park. And I stopped in there to see if anybody I knew was there, get me a soda pop. And the old boy that owned Norman was in there, and I, rec- I looked at him, yeah. I recognize you, and then he recognized me. And I asked him, I said, what'd you ever do with Norman? And he said, well, you were right. And I said, what? He said, well, we couldn't we couldn't turn him into dog food or glue. And he said, uh, a couple of, of uh, rodeo prospects, they come by, and and they got Norman. And they took him to a place, and they suited him up for a suited him up for, you know, riding him as a bronc. They put straps and everything on him, put him in the chute, mm-hmm. <laughs> opened the chute, and Norman walked out. He would not buck. He wouldn't do nothing. He threw my ass all over the place, but he wouldn't buck for the people who was thinking about putting him in a rodeo. He said so. We took him home and. Norman runs around the yard, he eats grass, and he's just a big pet. I said, okay, that's what I want to But that was, that was, that one almost irritated me. That damn horse would not buck for a professional rodeo riders, but he threw my fanny every time he, you know, I looked at him. And, uh, yeah. but Norman's all around. He's about, well, he's probably in his 30s now, early 30s, because he's about a three-year-old when they brought him up to, me to work on and uh mm. yeah they, they still had norman he's still there norman we salute you wherever you are back in the 70s 80s and even early 90s the cb was the only choice communications that you had if you had to make a phone call you stopped at the truck stop and went in and used a, a phone booth which you do not see those well you might see a few very few of them anymore. And every rest, every truck stop restaurant had phones plugged in. They had two or three or four phones sitting there, uh, you know, a phone at each table. And that's how you would call. Okay. If you were out on the road and you needed help of some kind, you was on your CB. And you, you had your CB on constantly. Everybody had their CB on, and every truck had a CB in it. And most, a big part of police cars, uh, most state troopers 
and a lot of local share local departments and sheriff's departments have CBs also, and they monitor Channel Nine, which is basically the emergency channel, and uh, you get a hold of them that way. And there were plenty of citizens that monitored Channel Nine at that time, had their CBs on all the time. And if you and Channel ID for that matter, right? Yeah, and uh, if you needed help, you would uh, get on the radio and, you know, uh, Breaker Channel 9, this is, uh, and on Channel 9, you, you would usually give, if you had a call number, you, you know, if you had a license, which some guys had, uh, they would, uh, you would give your number. If not, you would either just give your name or you'd give your handle give your location and say, there's a car wreck here. Could you contact the sheriff's department or the police department or whoever, you know, or there's an emergency of some kind. Could you contact somebody for me, you know, because there were no cell phones. And I mean, no cell phones. Uh, I remember the first cell phone I had, uh, and I don't remember all the details of it now, but uh, I got it right before I moved from Colorado back to Missouri. I had a cell phone that was in a bag. It was about the size of a gallon of milk, and uh, it was it had a zipper on it, and it was a phone in it, and it had a the phone was attached with a cord to that bag, and it had a little antenna that stuck up, and you charge that. And uh, and I thought that was the greatest thing in the world. I uh, company gave me that. I called my wife from out in the middle of nowhere, and I was, man, I was proud as punch. And uh, <laughs> that was, you know, that was the first cell phone that I ever seen, and it just completely changed. And you know, uh, and everybody talked on the CB. He was always on the CB. But wasn't it kind of a social outlet back then? I mean, it really was. Oh. It was kind of like uh, it was something that yeah. you did to sort of pass the time. You talked. Yeah, everybody has Facebook now. Back then, we had the CB. You know, and uh, there was I, there was CB clubs. You know, uh, there was there was get-togethers, and and uh, uh, I remember back in the, when I got my first CB, uh, and I went by a Lucky Turkey. We, you know, there was there was a group of us that we uh, instead of calling on the phone, you know, we'd talk on the CB, and you know, we'd make friends, you know. Depending on how much power he decided to run, which was illegal, but depending on that, you might talk to people 150, 200 miles away or cross country, and and it was. Uh, I remember going to dances, the CB club dance, you know, and there'd be a band there, and all you'd meet people that you talked to on the on the CB, and you know, you talk to these people on the CB, and you kind of picture in your mind, wonder what they're like, you know, you talk to somebody on the phone. Like people are listening to me and they're wondering what in the heck does that guy look like? And uh, thankful to you, Ghost Rider, uh, most a lot of people know what I look like. They can go to <laughs> they can go to uh, uh, Drive Magazine and and uh, with the articles you've done on me. And I still like the article okay. you did when I walked, I mean, walked into the truck stop wearing my underwear. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, SpongeBob SquarePants boxers, as it were. Turns out they're a okay for the truck stop coffee line. Nobody in line with Crawford said word one about it. You can find that story and much more about Mike Mustang Crawford at uh, 
OverdriveOnline.com, search Mustang. He's been a key source for me in my time at Overdrive, and I do think it's safe to say that I can count Mustang as a friend at this point. If you catch his Mustang's truck and Freightliner at a dock nearby, putting on tarps, untarping, folding up tarps, rolling up tarps, putting away tarps, I'm an idiot, but I'm still doing it. Or rolling down the road, be sure to squawk at him over the radio and tell him old Ghost Rider says hello. Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive Magazine. The podcast is edited and produced by myself, Todd Dills, with no small amount of support from Overdrive Extra contributor Paul Marhofer, Overdrive Editorial Director Max Heine, Social Media Coordinator Holly Young, News Editor Matt Cole, and Executive Editor James Gillette.